We begin another episode of Everyday Faith. This is episode two, and if you were there with us as we began with the first in the series of messages, Everyday Faith, we also issued an Everyday Faith 30-day challenge, and I hope that's going well for you as this is day seven. If you weren't with us and you haven't started that challenge, it's not too late to jump right in and get involved in the Everyday Challenge to make your faith an everyday expression. We need that more than ever. We've been kind of reduced to uh, kind of an online support only, and with that online support only, there's a sense in which we all feel like we definitely need more than that. We're having four sessions together, and these four sessions are this, everyday faith, everyday worship, everyday in the word, everyday witness. Today's topic is everyday worship. And so you'll notice that the three topics here about everyday faith is worship, word, and witness, and it is uh, just three of the components of many everyday expressions of faith, but I've picked these three for this series to kind of uh, help us get away from the WWW only kind of support and uh, only Sunday kind of support that we're sort of leaning on and get beyond that because if we don't have an everyday faith and an everyday expression as we're describing something far bigger than that, everyday worship, everyday in the word, and everyday witness, and we'll talk more about those in weeks to come, then we're, we're lost. We just don't have what is going to help us to uh, feel adequate and strong in this time of uncertainty with so much going on. Our theme verse that we introduced last week, and here it is again, is Hebrews 11.6. And without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Great starter verse for us to talk about everyday faith. I'm going to begin with this question at this time. What is the purpose of life? What is the purpose of life? It's a deep question, and I think that um, there's a deep longing within each of us. I would think that many of us has pondered that before. What's, what is the meaning of life, and what is the purpose of life? And perhaps now it feels a little more uh, important to understand that question than ever. I think that the question becomes more and more important to us the older we get. At least that's been my experience. Uh, when I was young, of course, I, I pondered the question. But it's easily overshadowed as I felt young and uh, it seemed like life was almost endless and there's so much before me that the deep yearning for the answer for meaning, it, it was sort of uh, placated with my pursuit of projects, my pursuit of um, pleasures, my pursuit of certain prizes that as I'm going for life in all of those kinds of ways in my youth, it sort of filled that void for meaning. And yet now as I'm older, I'm feeling a little less um, strong, a little less like those projects and prizes just met that need for meaning. And uh, I realize that there's, there's got to be more. And uh, I've known that all along, but I think in every person's experience, God has kind of built it in that we feel a little weaker, like what we've 
experienced in the past is just not meaning enough. We need more. Isn't there more to life than what we've experienced so far? I believe that has been built into our experience because of the fall and that God has built that into our experience to seek him even more because the purpose of life is to connect with God, to worship him, and find meaning there. And so let's begin with this point together, point number one. Meaning is a bigger word than me. Now, I know I'm doing a little wordplay here because the, the, the two letters M-E is found in both words, and meaning is a lot uh, bigger word than simply me, but I have meaning more than that. Like I mentioned, uh, we begin with I will, I think, I want, I dream, I, I, I. And then as we become older, I feels a little bit inadequate. I feels a little less tall. I feel weak. And those dreams, longings, and pleasures seem like we need more. Again, I mentioned that I believe that's by design because God helps us to come to a place where we, if we haven't in our youth, we yearn for him even more as we wonder about what's coming in our mortality. I want to look at our life from God's vantage point all that I can and help us to see life from God's vantage point. And life is not about me, myself, and I. It's about something bigger than that. It's not about my kingdom, my life, what I want. And then looking back on it, we... I don't think it's about that song, I did it my way and that's the great celebration. No, I think doing it my way and aiming for my life and being self-centered and all of that is actually, from God's vantage point, the problem. And so I wanna ask this question and I wanna answer it visually in a little visual illustration. How do you spell sin? I spell sin with a little s and a really tall I, and a little N, S-I-N. And you're gonna always find right in the middle of every sin, and first of all, what is sin? Sin is where we fall short of God's expectation. We fall short of God's glory. We fall short of the target purpose for our life in every Little sin, it's short of his holiness, short of his glory, short of his design for us as human beings. And that will always come as a result of our pride. Big, tall, proud I will want something for me. And that's how I spell sin. So point number two, you will always find a tall, proud I at the center of sin. When Jesus came on the scene, this was not the first exposure to who he was. All through the Old Testament, there was prophecies, there were promises, these uh, fulfillments and hopes and dreams and expectations. All the people of God were told about the coming of the coming king the anointed one, which is the word the Christ or the Messiah. There is going to be a king who comes. And when he arrived, 
He preached good news of the coming of the kingdom. He said the kingdom of God is near. Now he said near rather than here because it wouldn't be here until he unlocked the door and opened it wide and made it available for us. But it had come near because he was the king and he was here. He was about to open up access into the kingdom and allow the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven to flood into our beings and experience him. But when he preached the good news in Mark chapter one, starting at verse 14, he said, repent and believe for the kingdom of God is near. And then a couple verses later, follow me. And that's what is described as the good news. Now, that's an amazing, amazing declaration of good news. For us, we're still kind of wondering about that because we tend not to think in terms of all those promises, hopes, and dreams of a coming kingdom and a coming king, but we need to fix all of that good news upon the coming of the king, establishing a kingdom in a rebel world in a kingdom of darkness. Now, I've been doing a little bit of wordplay here in this message as it relates to sin and uh, the me and meaning and I at the center of sin. Point number three is also a little wordplay here. When proud I bends, it becomes a C. Let me just show you that visually. Here we have a tall, proud I. Now, actually, the way we use I, it's always capital I, as if it's all about us. We're the subject and everything is about us, and we're the subject. But in the Bible, we're not the subject. It's all about God. And so I've made it a lower case, but in our pride, it's tall, it's proud. And yet, the only way into the kingdom, according to Jesus, is repent and believe. The I must quit being so tall. It must bow to the king. It's not about my kingdom, it's about his kingdom. It's not about me, it's not about now, that's not the meaning of life, it's about his kingdom, his glory, his future, his forever, and he's all about making that happen for us. And so the tall eye must bend, and when it bends and bows in humility, in repentance, it's saying it's not about my kingdom. I've been ignoring you as if it's all about me and my kingdom and I did it my way and it's all about what I want. And God says, I created you. I created you for me. And you cannot even function according to design when you stand tall in your proud self until you humble me and repent and see that it's my kingdom that you seek you're never going to know who you are created to be and who you're supposed to be. So the t proud eye must bend. And why did I choose this visual? You'll see in a moment. The Lord Jesus Christ said the kingdom of God is near, but he opened the door and he claimed to be that door. I am the door, he said. Later he says, I am the way. I want you to picture a door that's not locked, 
not slam shut? Because so many of us think that the way we open that door to the kingdom is we have to make sure we're good enough and we pound at that door and so we can finally unlock that door and get in. And maybe we've got this unscalable wall of his kingdom. We're gonna get inside because on the outside of his kingdom, we experience the darkness and the mess of our lives and so we're gonna clean that up and get into his kingdom where it's clean and good and then we pound on the door trying to get into his kingdom and that's what religion often describes and it doesn't work. We can never make ourselves good enough. So Jesus says, I am the door. And it's a door that's wide open. And it's not up this tall climb up high on the wall. It's down low. In fact, it's wide open. You don't have to pound on it at all. Jesus has opened the door when he made a way through the shed blood on the cross. When he shed his blood on the cross, he opened the doors wide open. And when he died on the cross, the curtain that was separating the holy of holy place from where the people could stand was ripped from the top to the bottom. So access was opened by the flesh of Jesus. When he bled through that flesh that opened up, by the scourging of his body, and he's bleeding out from where it's been pierced and opened up, and that opens the curtain and made access into his kingdom as he takes upon himself our sin and opens a door so that we can enter in. I want to describe how that I changes to C because that C is C for Christ, and point number four is this, the new me is Christ in me. The new me is Christ in me. Galatians 2.20 reads this way, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I want you to notice something that this verse is not simply describing about that first time we enter through the door when we accept Jesus by faith that what he did on the cross is good for our life, that there's an exchange that takes place where he volunteers to take our place on the cross, what we deserve there. And he takes our sin upon himself so that he's crucified and he's buried. He takes our sin away. And then he's raised again and we're identified with him, and we're raised to a new life. It's more than just that exchange that took place in the past at that moment of faith, or for you if you've never done that, in that moment when you do that. It's talking about an everyday continuing of that exchange here, because now Paul says, I have been crucified, that has taken place, and I no longer live. My old self is gone. But how is it that as he no longer lives, now he's gonna describe the life that he lives? There's the old Paul that no longer lives, but there's going to be a new Paul that lives, and it lives every day in an everyday faith, in an everyday worship that looks like this. But Christ lives in me. It's an everyday faith and an everyday worship where Christ lives in me. I no longer live in the old me. Christ lives in me, and the life I now live every day the knife I now live this day in the body, I live by faith, everyday faith. 
in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. There's a change of identity that took place when we placed our faith in Christ, but that change of identity is an everyday change as we no longer live for self, and we bow and worship before Christ, and as we bow and worship, Christ is in me and lives through me. If we stand proud and live in the old way, our fellowship is broken. And in that brokenness of fellowship, we may stand tall in proud sin, and we're right in the middle of sin again. And with the broken fellowship, we don't experience the flood of fulfillment as we bow in worship. There are no happier people on this planet, no more fulfilled people on this planet than people that are fully surrendered to God in worship and have given their life over and are filled with the power of the Spirit, experience life on a whole different plane where the kingdom of heaven is now flowing in their life, his kingdom in their life today is a fulfillment and living in a new plane than everybody else. The new me is Christ in me. We need to get a hold of that identity from our exchange with Christ in an everyday bowing, an everyday humbling before him. How does that work? Worship is every day. Worship is submitting and remembering that as we look at the cross, <laughs> we're looking at ourselves and what we deserved in the death of Jesus. And we bow and worship that it's not us getting what we deserve. But as we repent, we get what we don't deserve. We get the grace of Jesus. And he enters into our life through the resurrection power and his Holy Spirit resurrecting Christ, resurrecting us into a new life. A lot of people, and even more modern atheists and agnostics are Raising an issue with the concept of worship, they think of God as an egotist that demands our worship, and he seems like a very small person indeed if he demands that we bow and worship to him because he's an egotist. Why doesn't he just let us be? But they do not understand God. They have not understood God and the bigness of who he is. He's so far bigger than that small image of what we think him to be like a person demanding worship. No, God humbled himself to be for us. To the degree that he sent his son, humbled himself to the degree that he took upon himself our pain, our sin, to allow us a way into his kingdom through that door. There's no way over that wall. We cannot make ourselves good enough to be acceptable before him. His kingdom is so perfect, his heaven so holy, that the only way in is through the blood of Jesus. And through that blood, we are washed clean because Jesus took away our penalty. And only in repentance, when we bow, can Christ enter in. Only when we recognize that if there's dirt in our cup, that we repent and say, there's dirt in my cup today. I'm coming back to the cross today, Lord, and I repent, I confess, I acknowledge the truth that there's dirt in my cup. Then with that repentance, the, 
atoning sacrifice of Jesus floods into that cup and the spirit floods into that truth of that confession, that truth of that worship, the truth of the bowing repentance. When we humble ourselves, he exalts us through what Jesus has done and fills our cup to overflowing, cleansed by the blood of Jesus. Filled with life to the full. Jesus says, I've come to give you life to the full. But there is in the kingdom of darkness an enemy of our soul who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He would love to muddy the cup and say, you're not, you don't need that God stuff. You don't need to worship. You know you want this fulfillment. You know you want that. You want to do this and you want to do that. That's the path to fulfillment. And only if we'll acknowledge the truth and Jesus is the way, the door, and the life and the truth. And the truth will require us to say, no, I am a sinner. That is dirt. I agree with your commandments. I agree with what you declare. I bow to you as king. I can't rule my own life. I can't choose what I decide is good for me because my own heart is wicked apart from you. And I keep desiring the wrong things apart from you. So I see it, what you say is true. I trust what you say is true. That is dirt in my life. As soon as I admit it, as soon as I repent, immediately, there's no need to do a whole bunch of other stuff, immediately he floods in with the grace because I acknowledged the door and walked through. I've stepped onto the way and the way is truth and the way is life and the spirit fills me and I've stepped out of the swamps onto the way which is Jesus and Jesus in me is my new identity. It all comes through humbling ourselves and worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ. God is for me and he made me for him. I've been designed that way. And yet this world's lie says, no, your body's been designed for pleasure. And pleasure is for your body. And the Corinthians thought this way and quoted a proverb in their day. And Paul quotes it in 1 Corinthians 6, 13. You say food for the stomach and the stomach for food. And God will destroy them both. The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord. And the Lord for the body. Did you know that you're fully alive when you dedicate yourself and your body to please God? But if you dedicate yourself and your body for any other pleasure apart from pleasing God and allowing the pleasure to honor God in God's way, under God's commandment, under God's reign and order and rule, Him reigning in our life. Only then are you functioning the way you've been designed to function. Do you trust Jesus and His commandments? Do you trust the King? Will you bow to His commandments, Him as King, and worship Him and offer yourself in that worship, Lord, I give you my body, I give you my soul, I give you my mind, I give you my will, I give you my emotions, I give you me today. Fill me as I humble myself before you. When I worship, I become C, and we experience glory in this mystery. Worship is our response to a glimpse of glory. And who is that glory? 
but Jesus himself. But I tell you, if you just take a good, strong look at the cross and Jesus' love for you, it is glory. It is mystery. It is awesome. But it is also humbling because that one who took your place on the cross is not just a man. He was God himself, the Son of God, there with God in creation itself. We read in Colossians 1, 15 through 20, the Son is the image of the invisible God, for in him all things were created. In the Son, in the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, all things were created. Other places read it, we read that he was there at the beginning. In the beginning, he created all things. Jesus is always and has always been the expression of the Father, the image of the Father, the word of the Father. And so the expression of the Father is Jesus himself, and through the spoken word, Jesus, the universe is created. In him, all things were created. All things have been created through him and for him. Verse 19, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. I have a quote on the screen that I want you to take a look at. It's from Roy and Revel Hessian in a book, We Would See Jesus. This is a husband and wife team who wrote a book. Roy was an evangelist in London uh, in the 50s. To create, God had but to speak, and it was done. But to redeem, he had to bleed. This is what we're reading right here in Colossians 1 that Jesus was with God in creation and the world is created through him and that was an easier deal. Speak it into existence. Can you just imagine that kind of power? That's God Almighty. He's not surprised by anything that's taking place in your life. He has the power to put your life in order as you allow him to reign and rule in your life. But the harder thing than creating a universe was to redeem the fallen who raised their fist against him in rebellion and said, I'm not going to bow down to you as creator. I am king of my life. I am going to reign and rule. I have a plan for me. In total ig ignoring our creator, rebelling against our creator, that is sin worthy of judgment. If you look at the dying, bleeding, suffering body of Jesus on the cross, you should be seeing what you deserve. If you don't believe you deserve that, you call God a liar. That's what the apostle says in 1 John. You call God a liar. 1 John 1.10 says, If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word is not in us. If we don't see that our sin is so wicked and so off from heavenly perfection that the only way to fix us is by sending his own son Jesus and bleed where we should be bleeding, die where we should be dying because of the judgment that stomps out sin, Jesus took that for us. But that's who we are apart from Jesus. That's what we deserve apart from Jesus, but Jesus opens the door 
and he is that door, and he says, I am for you. This much I am for you. Will you then be restored in your created image? We are little images, not the image. We are little images of God to be restored in the little image to reflect back the glory of God so that our lives become for him. And in that exchange of life of Christ in us and us for Christ, we bring glory in his kingdom. Psalm 145.2 reads, Every day I will praise you and extol your name forever and ever. It's an everyday faith. It's an everyday worship. It's expressed in every breath and everything we do. Oh, that I could live there all the time. But at least I need to bow to start inviting and filling with Jesus and his spirit to learn this way and to come out of the swamps to live with a rejoicing in this world. Here's one expression of everyday worship that Jesus taught. Perhaps you're familiar with it. Matthew 6, 9 through 13. This then is how you should pray. Now I want you to notice it's an everyday prayer. I've underlined some words so you'll see it. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. I want you to notice the first line. This then is how you should pray. Jesus didn't say, this then is something you memorize and this is what you pray. He says, this is how you should pray. I've been praying this way for many, 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 many days. And it comes out different every time. I want to just pray this prayer, a short version of it, in an everyday kind of way. Would you join me? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your name is so holy, so other, so beyond. Your character so good, so big. You were creator. (laughs) That blows my mind as I look at all the systems in the smallest of things that I don't understand, how everything works together. Then looking at the bigger things, how the whole universe is such an intricate system, how the earth is so finely tuned to support us in life. All those details makes my mind just blown with wonder at how big you are. And yet you condescended to the place of bleeding. You sent your son to open a door. You allowed your most precious son to experience the horrors of rejection and suffering in our place. And that humbles me to a place that's just hard to even picture that you would love me so, that you would call me someone so prone to ignore you, so prone to go my own way, so prone to put me at the center instead of you, that you would show me the way that you would create a way through your son and call me your child and love me by your grace. Oh, I thank you. Your kingdom come. Your will be done 
in my life. Would you reign? I invite you to reign in me and through me. I invite you to bring your commandments and your order and your pattern and your design. I humble myself to your design. And I repent that my designs for my kingdom, my life, my will, my day is so out of order, out of alignment with you. I confess to you that sin, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth in me and then out from me, in my family, in my extended family, in their families, with my grandchildren. Outward from there, Lord, your kingdom come in our church through our leaders and their households, through our staff and their households and their children, through our small group leaders and ministry leaders and servants that love you. Allow your kingdom, your reign, your rule, your order to restore us in such a degree that our mess is washed clean and, and we are soon talking about our message which you've given us, the good news of Jesus who lives in me has washed me clean. This day, God, I need you. This day, I need daily bread. This day, give me what I need. You said you've given us everything we need for life and godliness. I need more than just bread. I need food for my soul. I need the energy to please you today. I need your empowerment. So often, I'm just busy trying to do it on my own. It doesn't work that way. I need your life to flow through these dead bones and revive these dead bones with the power of your spirit to bring resurrection life, spiritual life that comes from you, pumping through my veins and showing me a, a life that's beyond what is in the cesspool of this world all around me. I want to turn from darkness and turn to you. Forgive me as I forgive my debtors and those who've hurt me. You've showed us a way to love, and it's a hard way. You've forgiven me, so I forgive others. I release them. Allow you to have full reign in their lives and full reign in my life as I let go of bitterness and forgive them. Lead me not into temptation. Every hour, there's probably a fork in the road coming for me. I don't want to take the wrong fork and the fork in the road towards temptation. I want to take the way out, the way to endure, the way to honor you, the, the choice that pleases you in the middle of the trial, in the middle of the difficulty, in the middle of the darkness that I might find myself in. Deliver me from that darkness. Deliver me from the evil one. Oh, Lord, I bow and worship May we all be repenting before you and bowing in worship today. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. I want to just hand it over to Matt who can give you some more details on our 30-day everyday faith challenge. I hope you'll join in that and make your experience an everyday experience. Thank you for being with us today. Hey, well, thank you again for joining us today. Uh, I, I hope there are some things in that message for you that um, were challenging, um, encouraging, maybe motivating uh, for you to continue to try to prioritize a daily faith and a daily relationship with Jesus. It's so important for all of us. Um, one of the things that we started last Monday was uh, something kind of as a whole church called the Everyday Faith 
30-day challenge um, where we're reading together, trying to worship every day, trying to pray every day, trying to uh, share our faith um, in some really practical ways. And so we want to just invite you to participate with us. If you didn't know about that, if this is the first you're hearing, or if you thought about it last week, but maybe didn't get around to it, uh, we there's still time to jump in and we'd love to have you uh, participate with us. So the best way to learn more and the best way to kind of get started is to go over to our website. If you go to vvcc.online slash everydayfaith, there's all the information that you need there. You can get started with uh, some reading plans together with us and all kinds of other stuff. So we'd love to have you join us. There's going to be a link that shows up in the comments right here. You can take a look at that um, and that should get you started on the way. Um, that's all I've got. We have communion still coming up in just a few moments. You can go ahead and get ready for that. Uh, thanks for joining us again today. Let's share in communion together. <laughs>